strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. Simple to do on any device that you have. You'll never miss a minute of the show again. And you can listen at your convenience. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. So uh, the uh, chief economist from Alliance, uh, their chief chief economic advisor said on Sunday that this recession was totally avoidable. I found a couple of these headlines interesting. Yellen, and that is uh, Janet Yellen, she is the U.S. Treasury Secretary, uh, said that the decision by Saudi Arabia and its OPEC allies to cut out oil output was inappropriate and harms the global economy, reinforcing the Biden administration's strong criticism of the move. (sighs) What about the cutting of the U.S. ability to produce? That, to me, is the biggest issue here. And... I know that there are some that disagree, and you can find numbers that say that it disagrees, but you can do a lot with statistics. We all understand that energy independence is national security. At least that's my belief, that as long as there is a need on this planet for fossil fuels, and if you look at what's happening in Europe, it's not just here. The Europeans were so dependent on Russian oil and natural gas. Look what's happening in parts of Europe. Um, most of you understand, know the nickname for Paris has been the City of Lights. Uh, they are reducing the amount of time that they're lighting the Eiffel Tower and other landmarks and government buildings by two hours. Uh, shopping centers, big shopping districts by two hours. And the reason why is because they are starting to ration power um, because of what's happening and the restrictions and the, and the difficulty they're having in getting the uh, fossil fuels that they need, whether it's natural gas or oil. And uh, it's happening all over Europe. They're the most Aggressive right now. Uh, France has been the most aggressive in this move. But other European nations are going to suffer and it's going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, during the winter months, I, I was in the story I read, it was 64 degrees Fahrenheit is going to be the maximum amount of, of temperature you can put your home to heat on. So even if you have the money, you can't do it. These are steep restrictions, and this is, again, when you're relying on foreign oil, when you're reliant on enemies like the Russian people, what's happening with Vladimir Putin, and how disastrously close it seems as if we are getting to um, to this, to, you know, the president says Armageddon, but some kind of nuclear uh, reaction from, from the uh, Russians, energy independence becomes more and more necessary. That doesn't mean we alienate people, but we strengthen an alliance with someone by peace through strength. That was Ronald Reagan's mantra, peace through strength. The Cold War was won without firing a shot, and it was an economic struggle that the U.S. won. Our economy was bigger and stronger than the Russian economy. We were able to build weapons faster than they were, better than they were, and more than they were. And we beat their economy. Their economy crumbled, and you saw the dismantling of the Soviet Union. Now, it is a simplification of what happened, but that's what happened. You know, and and we look at the world today and you look at what the Saudis and the OPEC nations are doing together and they are strengthening their economies by lowering the output but jacking up the price of a barrel of oil. And then you see the American economy suffer. Again, I mentioned earlier, I, I um, drove past – now, I didn't stop because I know I'd find it someplace cheaper. But there is a gas station at 32nd Street in Thomas that has gasoline, regular unleaded gasoline for $5.40. 
$0.39 a gallon if you use a card and $5.39 a gallon if you pay cash. $5.39. I was able to get it for $4.99, so I got it for $0.50 cheaper with a debit card about a mile away. Um, but we are still at we are back up around five bucks a gallon for gasoline. The president of the United States has focused on um, what he said were the good things in the economy and resilience and people still being able to work. But how about this headline? Payrolls turn negative next quarter and stay there for all of 2023, according to Bank of America. After Friday's payrolls, this case, this is a story that was written this morning. After Friday's payrolls report once again surprised uh, to the upside, while the unemployment rate unexpectedly slumped near all-time lows, as the numbers of unemployed workers dropped sharply in September. Now you look at Bank of America's economists are talking about the slowing down. They go on to note that while conditions have moderated somewhat, they remain near all-time highs. And those that were expected expecting the Fed to pivot to a slower pace of rate hikes in November may very well be disappointed on the heels of today's report. So we're going to see more interest rates going up. Rising gas prices are happening across the country. The good news for Arizona is the story that came out today. Or this weekend that said the refineries in California are getting up to speed, which means they are going to have the ability to produce at at better numbers. And I think that's terrific. That's exactly what it should be. But in the meantime, look what's happening to everybody. And with the rising oil prices, how much will the gas prices drop down even with more production out of California? Here is some good news. Rents dip in Phoenix and most Valley cities. What tenants need to know. This is a story from the Arizona Republic. Um, Rents dipped last month and and flattened out during the past six months. The slowdown comes after the Phoenix area nearly, nearly led the nation for rising rents in 2021. The median monthly cost to live in Phoenix, an apartment fell 1%. In September, uh, nationally, rents fell by only 0.2%. So what's good about this is that apartment vacancy rate has has ticked up a little bit. Uh, Glendale's median rent rent fell um, to $1,180 per month. Um, so if you take a closer look in some of them, Mesa's one-bedroom apartments are at 1300 In Chandler, a renter pays $1,530. Um, Scottsdale, $1,560. Gilbert, $1,450. I mean, it's expensive to rent a property right now. And uh, so there's a lot of economic factors that are causing prices to go up for everyone, and it's on the necessities, and there is no end in sight. So when the president speaks of the good things that are happening in the economy, you expect the White House to shine a light on what they believe are the positives in their economy. But at the same time, if you don't acknowledge that the people are hurting, you are doing a disservice, a big disservice to people. There is no doubt about that. And it is a huge disservice to say that everything is just fine. When the president talks about uh, the economy is showing resilience and this is what we're doing. As a matter of fact, I'll let you hear it quickly. Do you agree with this statement by the president? This recovery has been the fastest increase of people reentering the workforce of any modern economic recovery. But there's something else. Our job market continues to show resilience. So maybe that's true. I, I again, I can't. You can't argue with the fact that the job market's been strong. But is this something that everybody is looking at and saying this is exactly what we need? No, people are hurting, and there needs to be an acknowledgement. There needs to be an acknowledgement, and so far we haven't seen that. We just haven't seen it. 
Coming up uh, in a few moments, what we're going to do is uh, the Phoenix Police Department is having difficulty hiring officers. I talked about this earlier in the show, but I want to expand on this a little bit. They are having a difficulty hiring officers of color, non-white officers. And we all know, I think I know what that reason is. I want to discuss what can be done to attract people to this profession that I think is honorable. We'll do it here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, I had a discussion earlier about the Phoenix police officers, and this is a story that was written. I'm just going to read a little bit from it. Phoenix police struggle to hire officers of color. Police departments across the country are facing staffing shortages coupled with a lack of diversity. Last year, the Atlantic reported a 14% decline in black police officers in New York City. Uh, Since 2008, 19% decline in the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, Michael Scott is the clinical professor with the Arizona State University School of Criminology. And here's a quote. A police department ought to reflect the demographics of the community it serves. My perception is that the Phoenix PD is probably, like many other departments, still somewhat disproportionately white. Listen, and I, I would probably agree with you. Um, here's the difference, and, and this is a, a couple of things that I love about, and there are similarities in, in certain areas, um, sports, the military, and law enforcement. And what I love about the similarity in all of those is that diversity is earned. And what I mean by that is nobody cares what color your skin is. Um. There have been in the city of Phoenix, and I don't want to go into too much detail on what the, what's happened, but if you look at the number of times officers have been injured in the line of duty, shot at or shot in the line of duty, the uh, injuries and the shootings are harrowing, going through the list in just the past year or so. And um, when an officer is shot, when there is a... The 999 code goes out or the 998 with an officer-involved shooting. When you hear those tones go out in a patrol vehicle, 999 or 998, every cop in the city responds in one way or another. And some of it is getting to the scene. Others, it is making sure the other areas of the city are covered for patrol. Um, But everybody goes into action and everybody is concerned. And when you see police vehicles outside of a hospital where an officer has been shot, doesn't matter if it's man or woman, doesn't matter if it's gay or straight, doesn't matter if it's black or white. It is another person wearing the same uniform. It's interesting in sports when you see an injury. There was a a pretty big injury that happened over the weekend, and an opposing player wanted to check on a player of the other team that was injured because they were wearing the same uniform in the sense they were all football players. Um, When you look at at the military, the diversity of the military, nobody cares what your political party is. Nobody cares about any of that. What they care about is that when I need you, you're there on my side. I don't got to worry about my right because you're on my right. And you don't have to worry about your left because I'm on your left. That's all that matters. I think that the Phoenix Police Department would enjoy diversity and have people of every um, ethnicity, religion, gender. It wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. But when you write a story like this, people start asking why. Well, we all know why. It's politically incorrect to talk about why, but we know why. It's not diverse because of the anti-police sentiment. And listen, it's my. this is not my – I didn't give them this name. It's Black Lives Matter. 
the demonization in in uh, in the black community by Black Lives Matter. And I will say this: it, it, Africa, the African American community doesn't demonize the police. Black Lives Matter does. There's a difference. But when pressure is put on, when peer pressure is put on, when you aren't supposed to talk to the police, when you aren't supposed to deal with the police, uh, snitches get stitches. Never mind becoming a cop. You're not even supposed to talk or cooperate with the police. And if you don't believe that that is a a real thing in some places, you have not lived in those places. I have. I know I'm Lily White. The idea, the the mentality that says the police are the enemy, the police are the bad guys, police officers are murderers with badges. And then you write a story and you wonder why there's a lack of diversity in the police department, because you're seen as a traitor in your neighborhood if you become a cop. I've seen it. And what you what's the sad part about it is the society we hope for. The society we strive for happens within law enforcement. It happens in the military. It happens in the locker room, no matter what sport you play. And that is nobody cares what color your skin is. Nobody cares. If you're a police officer, you're on the team. We back each other up. We have each other's back. We take care of each other. When you put out a call that you need assistance, it doesn't matter that a white officer, a black officer, a female officer, a male officer, or a gay officer, or a straight officer shows up. You just know backup's coming. You put out the call. Their safety goes aside to protect you, no matter who you are. That's the society we hope for. We judge people in sports by their performance. It was a big deal. When Doug Williams and some of the other early day black quarterbacks came into the league and it was a big deal to have, you know, the first black MVP as a quarterback in, in the NFL. And those were big deals. It was a big deal when Jackie Robinson played in, you know, all of that stuff was 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 um, groundbreaking. But when you look inside a locker room, no one cares what color you are. Isn't that the society we want? That when it comes down to it, all that matters is your ability and willingness to help the team. That's the society we've been striving for forever. I defy you. I spend time with cops all the time. I get asked to speak at events and go to events and go with groups, do ride-alongs or with squads of cops. Nobody cares what color you are. And that's the society we've been asking for. And here are the news stories that are be ri- being written that are saying that, oh, look at this lack of diversity in the Phoenix Police Department. Change your attitude towards the cops and maybe young kids of color will see that this is an honorable profession that they could be proud of who they are in defending and protecting their community. And if you believe that there is a disparity in treatment, wouldn't you want more of those young kids of color to be in the police departments influencing behavior in the right direction? Instead, they're discouraged from doing it. It's a shame. It is an absolute shame. We all pay a price for that. We all do. In a moment, there is a website predicting a GOP is going to win the Senate. We're going to talk elections next. You're listening to continuing Arizona votes coverage of the 2022 election with Mike Broomhead. Hey, thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, it's a good idea to do it right now. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. Never miss a minute. 
because you don't want to, right? Um, this week, it's brought to you by Carol Rice Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. So one website, and it's the website Real Clear Politics, which is kind of a clearinghouse of poll numbers, believes that the Senate races are going to be close. They project that Herschel Walker loses in Georgia. But what's interesting in this is it shows that a conglomeration of a bunch of different sites and uh, polls show that Blake Masters is down by about four points. And none of the polls show him winning. But four points is not a big amount to overcome. And um, at the end of the day, they believe it's going to be 5248 for Republicans. I don't know how it's going to end. I just want to read real quick. In Arizona, Republican Senate nominee uh, Blake Masters actually trails by 4.1 points to incumbent Mark Kelly. Not a single one of the seven polls used for the average has the Republican leading. Still, RCP, or Real Clear Politics, predicts the race is a GOP pickup. Interesting, right? None of them have them leading right now, but they believe, whatever reason in this polling, they have Blake Masters leading. Um, I think it's an important race for the state of Arizona, but for the country as well, which is why we've invited Senator Kelly on a multitude of times. We'd love to talk with him. Um, uh, Blake Masters will be joining us again this week. Um, we invite both candidates when one says uh, – so here's – I want people I, – I love arguing on social media because they make no sense. People make no sense on social media. Um Mark Kelly is invited on this show and has a standing invite to be on this show, and I will treat him with respect that a senator deserves and want to just ask him on his, about his stance on issues. If he says no or doesn't respond, which has been what their campaign does, that doesn't mean that I'm going to limit the number of times the opposition comes on because I would love to have them on alternating weeks. So it would be every other week and alternating where they each get to give their opinions to this diverse audience that KTAR News has. So we have the ability here to be a voice that you can hear. I'm fair. Go to KTAR.com slash Arizona Votes. Go listen to how diverse the opinions are and diverse the interviews are with candidates. Be an informed voter. That's what we want more than anything else. I would be thrilled if we had voter registration going absolutely through the roof. Because I think that the only way we're going to change the elected officials is if we change the electorate. The same people voting vote for the same candidates over and over and over again, and then we complain about the same results. If all of you out there that have very strong political opinions, not partisan opinions, just opinions about the direction of the country, if you would register and vote, you would be the change. You would make the difference if you don't have an allegiance or an affiliation with a political party, if you don't have an allegiance or an, or an affinity for a certain candidate, if you are looking at just balls and strikes, wins and losses. Sorry, Julia. If you're looking at wins and losses, um, I just said if you're looking at balls and strikes and wins and losses, and I had to apologize because I wasn't making reference to your Mets from yesterday. Um, but if, if that's the way that you're – if that's what's happening and you're seeing ability, you are seeing results, and that is what we count on. The NFL is a success-driven league, period. You know, the Arizona Cardinals are frustrating sometimes to watch because they're not winning. They're exciting, man. That game yesterday was a great game. The way that defense played, the defense deserved to win. They played one heck of a game yesterday. 
and the Cardinals came up short. And uh, so when you see what they were able to accomplish on defense, but they're not winning, the coach is going to be held accountable for that. Eventually, I don't know when, but eventually coaching, having your team prepared for success or players that are losing in position. Um, you know, my I'm a college football guy, my Miami Hurricanes. I love Mario Cristobal being the head coach of this team. He's in a rebuilding year. I'm, you know, people are giving him the benefit of the doubt this year, but I'm watching some of the position players. I'm watching some of the leaders on the offensive line or guys that are supposed to be leaders not doing their job. Mario Cristobal was an offensive lineman. I don't believe those players will hold on to their starting positions. I believe recruiting, they will be going out and looking for replacements in some of those positions moving forward because these are success-driven leagues. I'm judged every month, every quarter. We get ratings in. We get monthly trends and quarterly ratings. We are judged based on that. Whether you think you like it or you don't like it, it's fair, it's unfair, that's how you're judged. And I love it. I love competition. And here we have a, a, a system of elections where it's a popularity contest. And that's what it boils down to. And so we're going to have Blake Masters on again this week. We're going to talk about the campaign. And the invitation is out there for Senator Kelly at any time to be on this show. And it's fascinating to me that Senator Kelly doesn't want to come on the show. We've invited and we've invited and we've invited. And now Senator Kelly is not responding to us. I can't control that. And this isn't a criticism. This could be strategic. It could be for whatever reason. He doesn't owe me anything. But I think he owes you something. I think he owes you answer those questions. And so that's where we stand. Real Clear Politics believes it's going to be 52 to 48 in the Senate. There was a great story that was published. ASU professors discuss partisanship from a psychological perspective. And I've talked about this a lot. They divided up uh, between um, ideology and identity, which is so fascinating. Um, how do we know if people choose their party based on their beliefs or their beliefs based on their party? For many, social identity trumps values when it comes to the embracing a particular party. Explained several of the panelists, individuals may first choose a party and then without consideration or contemplation accept that party's platform as their own. And I, I looked at, read this, I thought that is fascinating and brilliant. Um, because I agree. I agree there are so many people, which is why we have the popularity contests we have. The fact that within my own political party, when I disagreed with the way the audit was handled, I was ostracized and almost outcast from parts of my political party because I dared speak out about the audit. Why? Because I have an ideological difference and theirs is an identity difference. I was kicking them in the teeth because I was disagreeing with them. The minute that you say that you voted for Trump twice, you are alienated like I did, voted for Trump twice, alienated by a certain part of the population that just calls you a sycophant. And then I come on the air and I disagree with the way some of the things were handled, especially were said or done on social media by the former president. And then you're criticized by your own party and you're called names. Why? It's an identity. It's not an ideology. It's an identity. We all scream and yell that we hate the vitriol in politics until it's somebody on our side that's vitriolic. And then we defend it. And then when somebody on the other side says somebody vitriolic, you hate them and it's horrible and that's there's no place in American politics for that. And it, and it has to do with identity.
A very serious topic in just a moment. Uh, Arizona suicide by firearms among the highest in the country. We're going to talk about that word firearm in that list because I think we should be talking about this without that word in there. The, how high the, the suicide rates are in this country. But are firearms the problem? We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. It is a uh, difficult topic. Arizona, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, among top places for firearm suicides, according to the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. 71% the state has one of the highest suicide rates of firearms. Last month, Arizona Public Health Association held a conference addressing firearm suicide prevention in Arizona. Firearm suicide is significant in public health crisis in our country. Um, the vast majority of deaths by firearms are because, and I believe the number is two-thirds of of deaths by firearms are suicides, which is a statistic when we talk about um, gun violence that is necessary. Um, about 80% of those who attempt suicide with a gun die compared to only about 5% without a gun. Um, men are six and a half times more likely to die by gun uh, gunfire or gun suicide than women. Uh, white men are more than seven times as likely to die by gun suicide uh, as gun ho- homicide. And... Um, some of these, uh, it's just a tragic number. In 2017, more than 47,000 Americans died by suicide. Um, in addition, 1.4 million Americans attempted suicide. Uh, so I want to talk about this because this is from an organization that talks about the educational fund to stop gun violence. This is where uh, I have an issue with this is because when I saw these numbers – it's it's personal for me. We were just talking about um, my youngest brother's best friend. Just for whatever reason, it came up with uh, came up in conversation, or he came up in conversation. His family um, parents were such good people to all of us when we were kids. So my youngest brother is seven years younger than me. So I was in that weird place where I was still a kid, but. The adults kind of treated me as kind of a tweener. I was in between being a kid like my brother and his buddies and an adult. I wasn't really either, but I was accepted. And this guy, man, this kid's dad treated everybody so very, very well. And then the day before um, he was to leave for college, he committed suicide with a gun, shot himself. And nobody to this day, I don't think anybody knows why. There really was no indicators that he was suffering in any way. But the way in which he killed himself wasn't the issue. You know, um, I had a cousin that died in, in a home. He was homeless and he died in Vegas. Um, I told this story when I spoke at the Circle of the City 10th anniversary and I got to speak to Sister Adele. And I, I said, you know, there, for me, homelessness has a face. It's not just a name or it's a name, not just a face. And it's Kenny. That's my cousin. And would he have survived had we had the resources here? And we don't know if it was I don't know if it was a drug overdose or it was a medical issue that he had. And in the end, it didn't matter. What matters is that he's gone. And for anybody out there that has lost someone to suicide, it is a tragic way to lose someone you love. It always is tragic to lose someone you love. But when they do it at their own hand, um, there's a mixture of, of rage and sadness and, and uh, this internalized feeling of should I have seen signs? Should I have known better? Should I have seen this coming? Should I have intervened? What could I have done? 
And these are the things that we should be looking at around the people around us. Imagine the people that you love. There's got to be people that are suffering, and they mostly suffer in silence. In a day and age of social media where you can be whatever you want to be on social media, be king or queen of the world. You can be on top of the world, best life. Uh, you know, you can uh, um, filter your pictures to look exactly the way you want to look and be good looking online. You can do all kinds of things to show a life that's exciting and fulfilling and fun. And inside you could be rotting away. Inside you could be wishing you were dead and nobody would know it. And that's the, what we should be addressing is why 1.4 million people in this country attempted suicide. We're going to focus on the fact that they used a gun to do it as an attempt, as a means of some kind of restrictions on, on the possession of firearms. And, and it's such a misleading statistic, I believe. Um, you know, so if the thought process is if you didn't have guns in your house, they may try it, but they'd probably live. So let's restrict people's access to guns. I don't know that that's the thrust of this, but when you start talking about gun violence, when you look at two-thirds, I believe the number is two-thirds, but it is definitely the overwhelming majority of deaths at the hand of firearms are suicides. It's not gun crimes against other people. I don't want to even, when I looked at this story, initially I'm dragged into a gun control argument. We shouldn't be talking about gun control. We should be talking about how many people in this great country that we have see suicide as a viable option for them. A permanent solution to a temporary problem and what they leave behind. When this young friend of my brother's um, committed suicide, I was uh, asked by his father if I would organize the pallbearers, and I was one of them. And he was buried in his baseball uniform, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember the overflowing crowd of people that were at his funeral. And I remember standing there thinking to myself, if he knew how many people would be here, if he knew how many people cared about him enough to show up at this funeral, would it have changed his mind? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I just know um, for whatever reason, taking his life seemed to be the best option in that moment. Why is that not the topic of conversation? Why do so many people see that as their best option? And that is what we should wrestle with as a society. How can we be a positive influence on the people around us and such an open book with the people around us that if they're suffering to that level, they reach out to us before they make such a decision or reach out to someone before they make that decision? That's a to me is a better way of handling this. Coming up just after eleven o'clock, we talk about the economy again. What is the bright side? And there is a bright side. We'll talk about it next.